Hey, man. Hi, dude. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, bud. Hi, uh, this is Jake. And this is Elliot. And you are listening to Sip and Mimos, the internet's premier citrus based, sometimes citrus based libation uh, podcast, wherein Elliot and I talk about 90s rock and electronica albums. That's correct. Uh, I'm Elliot, and that's Jake. Jake's the radio rock guy, and I'm I, Elliot, am the electronica guy. So we give each other a album or an ep or a song every uh other other episode and and we uh we compare contrast and enjoy each other's company and we hope you do too side note i elliot awesome name for a mixtape <laughs> i love it i elliot that's some like asimov-esque i robot kind of shit dude what are I, that's that's what i was put you can like do like you can give yourself like a blue tint and you know just kind of make yourself see through what what are the three rules of I Elliot? Yeah, I just lost my voice. Oh no, we just started recording. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the whole episode's shot. Elliot, Sasha's good. Green is good. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Elliot's finally hit puberty on the air. No, is... <laughs> we already did that bit. Oh, no. <laughs> How was your I... New Year's Eve? It was good. You know, um, we we stayed in mainly because you know we have a. Um, we have kind of a nervous, nervous doggy, and uh, so we stayed in. Oh, and yeah. We 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 went to visit some family in Houston, and we got some hot chicken because I love like Nashville hot chicken. You know, you know, I normally order the hot. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't anticipating it was going to be like crazy, like very like it was one of those things where like I started getting lightheaded after eating them. Oh, and <laughs> oh my god. Um, but like, do you remember like with like man versus food? And, he, um, I remember he went, he went to one in San Antonio and it was like the four horsemen burger. This thing had like four types of peppers, ghost peppers, one of them. And like, Oof. he could like, he had, I think he had to like sign a contract, uh, and he couldn't touch the burger with his bare hands. He had to wear gloves to, yeah. to eat it. Do you remember this? I, I don't, I remember watching a few of those episodes, but I don't like, I don't remember that specifically, but. If you have to wear gloves, oh boy, because like one touch to your eyeball, like your your dunzos, right? Like, like oh yeah, because those things are no joke. I didn't know that, and I remember one time I was stocking. I worked in produce, and I was stocking, and I was doing habaneros, and I was just like grabbing them bare bare hand, like without gloves on, just like oh, and, uh-huh. or, and one of my part, my one of my teammates came over, and he was like, dude, 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 don't do that. Go wash your hands. Yeah, hurry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, what no, soap won't help you? Have to like you got to get like lemon juice on them and all this. Yeah. I've cooked with plenty of peppers and like um, they remain on your hands for a while. Like the oils and the skin and like they seep into your skin and like you use the restroom, you're in big old trouble. Uh, <laughs> you're in a world of pain. This would be the perfect setup if we were talking about like the red hot chili peppers. <laughs> so this, <laughs> don't do that. Don't this tease could... the listeners. This combo is like <laughs> wasted right now. If only we were talking about like blood sugar, blood sugar sex magic. But if we ever do rat chili peppers, here's what we do: we um we do a we do a chicken wing challenge before it, so we oh, can I talk that. about that. Okay, yeah, that. yeah. We'll get well, you know what we'll do. We'll get we'll get the the bomb, 
in the mail or whatever, and then we'll both try it and then do the show on that. <laughs> horrible idea. I'll be like puking my guts out. <laughs> it, it, it does sound kind of uh, not like the best idea, but I love it. And I would, I would do it. I'd be fun. And then be at some point, you just the sound is guitar, man. It's just the bed. You know, my tongue be all numb. And that's that's the episode we get new new fancy mics I know, for. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are are you a spicy food guy? You know, I I like to consider myself adventurous uh, when it comes to like spicy food for sure. Yeah. Um, I can't handle it as well as I I could at one time. Um, yeah, I don't rock as hard as I do as long as hard as I did. Um, but yeah, I like to indulge in spicy food i like a flavorful spice yeah like a nice drunken noodle like uh like with sure. um with like some nice like chicken i know it normally comes with beef but i like it with chicken mm. i don't want it to ruin my tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> um but but i do like a little flavor and spice in my, in you, my you like a little you like a little danger he, <laughs> i i don't know have you ever been to Texas Chili Parlor here in Austin? Yeah. Uh, I went there with my uh, brother, and they have, like, a degree of heat because it gets hot as shit. And I'm like, yeah, let me get the, the hot. And they're like, they're like, sir, are you have you been here before? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, like, so you've tried the hot before? I'm like, well, well, no. I had the one in the middle before. Like, the, are you certain? Like they're about to hand me a waiver, <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, "Well, I kind of wondered it. Let me try it." They're like, "Okay, okay." And then my brother orders. He's like, "I'll take the hot." They're like, "Absolutely, right away," because <laughs> he just has a different vibe than me. <laughs> he really does have a very like, Indiana Jones vibe. It, it... <laughs> he's got a, he's got a, yeah, yeah. Like I'll drink the monkey brains. You know, kind of, <laughs> kind of. It's um, like it's like very in- Indiana Jones meets Henry Cavill. So, um, oh, so lucky him. Like, I'll, good job. I'll cut this. I'll cut this out because I can't have him hear this. It'll go right to his head. <laughs> <laughs> I do. One time, I I went to uh, Torchy's Torchy's Tacos, sure. um, and uh, I got the Jamaican jerk chicken. With mm-hmm. like the jerk sauce, and it was it was yellow. So in my you know mind, I was like, "Ooh, it's pineapple! Awesome!" Like straight up habanero. Right. Like yeah. And I had just like douched my taco <laughs> in this stuff. <laughs> and I was with my sister. I took it, and she was like, "Don't eat it." And I was like, "No, I paid five dollars. I gotta power through. <laughs> I got and yeah." And it was uh, one of those. I was brutal. Like I was oh. lightheaded. We went to a comedy show afterwards and I was like, Oh no. <laughs> you know, tripping out. But, <laughs> uh, but besides indulging in uh spicy uh spicy foods, what else have you been up to? Have you uh what we're talking about? Tasted, have you seen, heard, uh what's the other touched any well, have you seen or heard Tasted. anything cool lately? <laughs> <laughs> I've been all right. I've been exploring uh, my all my all my senses. Um, oh. oh, hey! By the way, happy New Year! Oh, happy New Year! And happy New Year to you, gentlemen. Oh, and happy New Cheers, to happy, all listeners. Ooh, happy New Cheers! I love it. Speaking of Henry Cavill, did you hear he's out as Superman? 
man, uh, uh, James Gunn? James Gunn, yeah. Man, he's cleaning house. Cleaned house, yeah. House is clean. His house is clear. Like, he's, <laughs> like... But, like, maybe they're keeping Peacemaker, which feels a little, like, oh, well, come on, man. Because he, he, he's the Peacemaker guy? I don't know. Start from zero. I, that's what I say. But, yeah, a little favor. Well, it, this is my thing. I don't know. Yeah. Thoughts? Uh, you know, I was never really invested in the dcu yeah you know not i mean not nearly as much as the the marvel marvel cu Uh, (laughs) um the mcu yeah yeah mcu that's what it's called i thought there was some like visually interesting things uh in in like batman versus superman and superman 2013 uh that 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 first wonder woman was pretty great oh I, i really enjoyed aquaman I never went on Reddit to read like fan theories for any of those, any of those movies, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems like he knows what he's doing with superhero movies. Um, yeah. I mean, I trust Gunn and like, and come on, that, 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 that was, that was that whole universe was a dumpster fire, dude. Like oh, with yeah. the re-editing and all that. So, oh boy, like uh, it's a bummer to, I must, I'm feel bad for Cavill, but he's going to be fine. <laughs> He'll probably he's got Warhammer lined up. He's he'll probably be James Bond at a certain point. Like, forget it. He's he's fine. Well, dude, speaking of, did you see who who they're kind of tapping for James Bond? I heard, I heard someone had a meeting. Your boy, Aaron Taylor Johnson, aka Kick Ass. I heard Kick Ass had a meeting. Dude. Did you see um Bullet Train? I still, it's it, it always pops up on my Netflix like movies you might like. Uh, yeah, have you checked it out? I fell asleep to it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I saw half of Bullet Train. <laughs> uh, I mean, I love him. I mean, uh, he's great as Kick Ass. He was awesome as John Lennon in a movie called Nowhere Boy. If oh, you, if, really cool. Okay, uh, it's about the young John Lennon, um, kind of dealing with like his mom and his aunt and meeting Paul McCartney. Um, Far out. Uh, the big, the big line from the trailer was, hi, I'm John. And then the guy goes, I'm Pooh. You know, so <laughs> uh, if you see it streaming, it's, I think it's worth a watch. Uh, but yeah, I think he'd be a cool, maybe like a younger bond. Like, you know, he just looks younger. I don't think he's younger necessarily, but he looks younger. Yeah. 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 But James Bond Jr. over here. James, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, mean, I feel like it's a power move to get Cavill, honestly. But yeah. Cavill doesn't seem concerned with that, playing that game, because he wants to do his nerdy stuff and all power to him. Because he's like a Warhammer player. Warhammer, I don't know, tabletop, what, I don't even know if it's like a card tabletop game, but he like paints the models and all that. He's like obsessive about it. He's a big old nerd. This is why I love him so much. Well, that's that's kind of like Vin Diesel being obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly. I love it when these um, slabs of granite of men are like way into dorky shit. <laughs> Just like you and me being as buff as we are, are way into nineties music. Ellie and I like <laughs> think Dave Batista. That's what you know. <laughs> and I'm John Statham. I'm just like we're just like fucking insane. Oh. Zero percent body fat. Oh, uh, Jason Statham. That's, what did I say? John Statham. Did I say John Statham? Yeah. 
I think I got Stamos and Statham. Yeah, I was gonna say Statham. Mixed up. We, hey, I'll take either one. I'll take either one out of your We're mind. as jacked as those guys and as handsome as John Stamos. There. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I was trying <laughs> to say. Wow. But but should we say our last episode about lit and the orb? Uh, we oh. got some uh, uh, attention. Yeah. A uh, major shout out to uh, to lit for sharing our uh, season sippins episode where we talked about uh, their song "Miserable" and the orbs. Little fluffy clouds. Little fluffy clouds. See, I still want to say strange. Oh, I was trying to save you, dude. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so check it out, and uh, yeah, thanks again, Lit, for uh, making my boyhood dream come true. Yeah, and come on the show, Lit. Come on, whatever. Oh, come on. please come on the show so we can talk about a place in the sun. Oh, they're gonna um, listen to me talk about them, like uh, your your homeboy point up on the strings, and they're like, these guys get it. And they'll come on the show because of, of, of me, dude. You know, I just realized what? with my, with my band today, and honestly, my band uh, next episode, um, I'm I'm Mr. West Coast these days. Uh, you've been Mr. West Coast like the whole time. I that's true. <laughs> well, I've been Mr. UK, I suppose. I don't know. I'm not, but I'm very I'm very excited. But before we dive into that, uh, we we talked about Daniel Craig. James Bond and Dave Bautista. Elliot, have you seen this Glass Onions? Have you heard about this? Have you heard about this Glass Onion? I've seen Glass Onion twice now. I saw Glass Onion in the theaters in its little short run. And I saw it um, on Christmas Eve. Um, me and my uh, stepbrother and friend came back here. We watched Glass Onion and it was a good old time. So I've seen it twice now. <laughs> now, if you're going to ask me to like break it down... <laughs> It's complicated well, uh, on purpose in a, in a weird way. We were still trying to like figure it out. Like, what did this mean? What did that mean? Okay, go go go. What did, oh, did you see it then? I saw it. Yes. Okay. Um, Thoughts? I liked everything except the end. I really really liked the cast. Um, I wanted more like Daniel Craig, the solving the crime and getting the bad guy. That like like the way he got like spoiler spoiler Chris Evans in in Knives Out. You know. But, so I. But you have okay. But you have seen Knives Out. You have seen other works by Ryan Johnson? Ryan, yeah. And you realize his methodology and of uh, um, subverting expectations. Is that is that a thing? I'm not that's familiar. Like his, that's like his whole idea. That's like his whole thing. Huh. Last Jedi Looper Brick. Like have you seen his have you seen his filmography? I didn't dude, I didn't realize he directed Looper. He's the Looper guy. Yeah. Is Paul Dano is Paul Dano a looper? He sure the fuck is, man. He, he gets he's like someone like who's who's like fingers start eroding away as they torture yeah. his like. He gets uh, like super selfish. killed. Oh, he gets super killed. Yeah, it's brutal, brutal. Uh, um, I love Looper. I didn't realize that was Rian Johnson, but I feel like that was. It's Ryan. It's Ryan. Am I? I keep on calling him Rian. Rian. It's Ryan with an I. I think we've had this discussion before. I've had her pronounce Ryan Johnson. Ryan, Ryan Johnson. It, it's just with an I. Ryan. Ryan. I imagine that throws everyone off. I'm sure he's sick of talking about it. So you were you were just kind of like you were into Glass Onion until you were not at all. You didn't like the ending. I didn't. I didn't care much for the ending. Um, okay. I don't know. It's a bummer I, to like set up these murder mysteries because like, damn you like if it's a murder mystery you better nail the ending because that's kind of the whole idea. Like, do you remember the Simpsons joke 
I, I hope you do. When like I don't I don't know who it is. Maybe it's Lisa or whatever. She's like wants to buy a puppy, and she and like and he, she picks up a puppy, and and the the guy's like, oh that puppy's really good. Uh, he writes mysteries, <laughs> <laughs> and and she's like, how does a dog write mysteries? And the guy goes, uh, he figures out the ending and then writes backwards. Like, 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 narratively, how does it? Okay. Yeah, it's just, I just always thought that was really, like the one of the best jokes in this. <laughs> but he's like subverting that by like, and, and knives out like, oh, the death. We realize what happens immediately, and then it's like, wait, what the hell is going on? So like, and then and then and Glass Onion, he's subverting your expectations. It's okay to not <laughs> like things, dude. We're a music criticism show. You're you're allowed to not like things. This is true. But yeah, stand by your dislike of things. Okay, okay. But I miss, I, I'm trying to be supportive. Thank you, thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> yeah, even though I, I really wasn't like fully on board with that initial viewing of Glass Onion, that whole Knives Out universe is really is really something I am very interested in. It's a it's a very interesting concept to me and. Uh, mm-hmm. I love the yeah. Benoit Blanc character. Yes. And I hope that Ryan Johnson um, mm-hmm. really assumes the role of the expander and expands that universe. <gasps> Here, Here we, we go! go! Elliot, tell me about Sasha. <sighs> Elliot just bit his lower lip and looked longingly out the window. So, uh, so we've talked a lot about 90s electronica. We've talked a lot about the boom in 97 and all this. Uh, I think digging on a hole in 97, Fabulous Slims, you've come a long way, would be in 98, 99. Someone showed up and and had been there for or quite a minute, for the decade, but but uh, solidified himself as a mythical creature in the genre. When Sasha released the Expander EP, the Expander EP has four tracks: it's Expander, his Bell Funk, his Rabbit Weed, and his Baja. It's four tracks, and they were all movements. And Sasha comes from the world of, he was subjugated to, of trance music, trance DJs and stuff like that. Your Paul Oakenfolds. Uh, and then the producers like your BTs and all this. This seems so opposite and opposing to You've Come a Long Way, Baby, that we talked about previously. This is precise and progressive. And this is a uh, musical art piece that Sasha made it's gorgeous, and the uh, title track "Expander" became one of the best trance quotes, trance tunes of all time. Jake, what'd you think of "Expander" by Sasha? Well, uh, I loved it. So, a little bit on 
DJ Sasha. Does he go by, is it DJ Sasha or just Sasha? It's just Sasha. Just Sasha. Good question. It's, it's Ryan, not Rian. I'm learning a lot about names this episode. <laughs> so this is Sasha, uh, uh, birth Sasha. name Alexander Paul Coe. Uh, born September 1969 in Bangor, Wales. That is the United Kingdom. I right. love this one. This is... Uh, so right off the bat, Expander Edit. It's the shortened version of Expander. Uh, Correct. It really, it really hooked me. I imagine um, it did. As I've discussed, you know, I've always been kind of obsessed with synthesizers. Uh, mm -hmm. I own uh, a micro cord that I just love and I'm still trying to figure out even though I've had it for like 15 years. I can remember going into like Guitar Center and they would have like presets on on like the wall that you can like push a button for and it would like play what what the keyboard could do. And there is a trance setting on the micro cord and this song reminds me of that demo song that I, that I first heard 15 years ago. Can I guess the trance setting is an arpeggiated beat? It is an arpeggiated beat, yes. Okay. There's a reason for that, and it's because of Expand. Um, really? Like, uh, 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 there were a lot of arpeggiated like synth hits in the mid and late 90s. They kind of reached its pinnacle with Expander. Expander was a, it's considered one of, one, of, one of the greatest trance tunes of all time. I say quote because this is not exactly what Sasha was going for. He's, he, I think if you asked him, if, is, are you a trance DJ? He would say, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> uh, he's not defined by genre. He's, he's, he's not anchored by it. He's never been a purist. A lot of these trance DJs in, in this, in his same time as he, as he was coming up, we're like, this is my genre. I play this genre, meaning I get records from these labels and I play these records from these labels. Sasha was quite the opposite. He would, he would create his own stuff and lower tempos. And especially in his older older years, he would he lowers his tempos. There's something about Sasha th that made people become quite obsessive with them, especially aspiring DJs and what we've referred to as train spars before and what Sasha refers to as uh, spotty boys. <laughs> Me meaning a bunch of bros that encircle him when he's behind the booth and watch what he does and see if they can pick out what, the, what tracks he's playing. Sasha became this like ethereal being in the DJ world where if you got to see Sasha, it was a gift from above. How did he do this? He moved from Wales, and he moved from Wales, he moved to Manchester. Jake, your favorite city. Manchester, that is actually Ma my favorite musical city. Well, here, one of my favorite guys is from one of your favorite cities. How about that? So he moves to Manchester and gets yep. involved with the scene at a club called the Hacienda. The Hacienda, yes. Hacienda, where they were doing Acid. Was it, what is it called? Um, As acid House. Acid House. What is Acid House? <laughs> we've, we've, we've approached this idea um, on the Spawn episode. If you remember Josh Wink, like a synth heavy kind of like uh, arpeggiated synth riffs that that like mess with with the cutoff and resonance on the synth and like they get higher and higher until they're gonna blow your eardrums out. But always with the 4-4 behind it. 
he he became obsessed with um, house music, m more importantly club music, and the idea of what that could be um, after being exposed to the acid house scene in like the late '80s and early '90s. Reading his Wikipedia page, is it here that he meets John Digweed? So he, he he meets Digweed in passing, and then they become a duo. Sasha and Digweed became a, a thing. So with your Oakenfolds, with your with your uh, Tiestos, Sasha and Digweed were a different kind of DJ duo to see. Like you knew the, the, these guys were so precise. Like like perfection kind of kind of became like their thing. And then something special happened where um, the music they were playing, the way they were playing it, became this thing that people kind of tried to replicate. Like you went to a club and this club culture, and instead of getting drunk with your friends and, and dancing that way, you were actually like feeling a sense of euphoria. Like they, they were programming the tracks out. They were, they were playing the songs in a certain order where you were now like approaching some sort of nirvana of your evening, he approached this level of mystery. Like, how is he doing this? And if you if you see interviews with him, he's quite humble and and affable. He regrets that mix mag, this European DJ magazine that put him on the cover, said Sasha, son of God? Question mark saying like he might be like the second coming of like something there's a certain like religious thing here like as that that we kind of approached with bt escm remember um but and he's also worked with bt quite a bit yeah so they they, they were trying to develop this sound where going to the club to dance was more of a mystical religious experience and then he put this ep out trance tunes are they, they have to live by these rules for certain things. Okay, well, it has to be this tempo to this tempo. And it has to have a synth riff. It has to have a breakdown and a, a buildup and all this. But he's filling in the gaps of those. It certainly is those things. The synth riff is not um, what they used to call bees in a coffee can. Like the hard synth, like the ah, 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 ah. It's like soft. It's like wham, 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 wham. Like the attack of the synth. Turn all the way down, like it kind of like it kind of glides over you. Beautiful sense of uh, elevation. It's it's a truly uh, beautiful piece of work with pristine production, and I think it's quite important. You are certainly not wrong. Uh, I mean, this thing sounds clean. It almost sounds kind of like timeless too. You know, if you would put this out this week, it would still sound fresh. It, it would still be interesting after you know what 23 years of material you know probably that ha that has like built on things like this it would still sound cutting edge really fantastic stuff one of the things i saw about sasha and Digby was that they had a monthly residency at the influential new york club twilo uh yep. are you familiar with this place uh yeah yeah um and i'm looking at i was looking at the people who played there um, that's one of those things where it's like, you know, for rock clubs, you have those like your CBGBs, you have your, your Fillmore's, you know, your, your Troubadours. I'm interested in learning about electronic clubs and the artists that came through there. Looking at that, I saw some familiar names. Saw Richie Houghton was a regular there. Uh, mm -hmm. your buddy, Paul Oakenfold. 
Yep. Uh, and my fave, my guy, Paul Van Dyke, uh, amongst others. Um, but those are just the mm-hmm. ones that that played there regularly. Um, and it sounds like it was just in a, a warehouse in Chelsea, the Chelsea neighborhood of yeah. New York. As we've as we've discussed, I'm kind of like mesmerized by the idea of boroughs and neighborhoods of New York. So. Um, thought that was really interesting. Um, the- <laughs> Ch- Chelsea is a neighborhood in uh, uh, the west side of Manhattan, and it's right above the uh, what we call the Meatpacking District. Guess what that's known for? That's actually known for clubs. <laughs> now it used to be, you know, like Meatpacking. That's what they call it. That, but they, oh. above there, above there was uh, Chelsea. Is that where the Hotel Chelsea is? I imagine so. Okay, it's not just a clever name. <laughs> it's not just a yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but let's talk about the tracks. Do you have any favorites that stand out from the Expander EP? Um, I think they're all quite fantastic. Expander is uh, a absolute classic. <sighs> progressive house tune, progressive uh, trance tune, like um, progressive meaning it takes a long time and it progresses, works in movements. You no know, 12 bars of this, 12 bars of that. And then we're going to change the tune up a little bit. And we're going to drop you in a different world. I'm gonna work your way back up. We're gonna we're gonna half step the beat. We're gonna move it right back up there, and then drop it back into the world, and then like crescendo and on all this. These are like operatic pieces. It's yeah. truly incredible. Trans classics of like the late '90s were doing a similar thing, but this has so much like reverb, echo, production, tech, like technology behind it, where it's like they worked a long time on this. It is so leagues beyond the like 909 quality of some of these other uh, classic tracks of the time. It just kind of like took everything to a new limit and maybe might have destroyed the genre. The expander, the extended version. It's the original version. The original version. I feel like a goofball because I listened to the shortened version because the way it is on Spotify, it's like the radio edit version i looked it up on spotify i'm like oh he's not gonna that's why i texted you today i'm like are you sure you got to okay and i I, you know i was i had my headphones in and i was like taking my notes you know the original version starts and i'm just like oh i wonder if this is like like a like a reprise or something or or, you know of the of the original piece and then incorporate and i looked and it's just oh oh, it's it's the extended version oh (laughs) no i i really really liked it um the longer version has some really like punchy or maybe even like plucky synth sounds and yeah. the drop it minute nine uh nine and 19 seconds i had to replay that a couple times it just is it the, is it the one where everything is like yes. like yeah yes. like that's when like the lights have been to like strobe and then like everyone just loses their minds and yeah and you are now you're you have ascended to a new level of understanding <laughs> Uh, so after Expander, we have Bell Funk, uh, which, as we discussed, started off as a remix tr- track for a BT, uh, their song Belfast. No. Oh, no. Orbital. Orbital. <laughs> Bell, Bell Funk, yeah. It's okay. Bell Funk, I, 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 I found this out today. <laughs> I didn't know this. Um, I, I, I've been a fan of this EP for a long time, um, and I'm like one of my favorite duos. Like Belfunk started off as a re, uh, as a remix of Belfast, this track from Orbital's Green album, the first track, which is a great, great, awesome tune. Um, and I listened back to it. I'm like, 
son of a bitch. I can hear the, <laughs> I can hear the, like the the only human voice on the EP. Like you can hear it. Like oh shit, it's from Orbital's Belfast. Orbital did not like what he did with it, so they split in two different directions. He's like, well, I'm gonna continue working on this bell funk tune, and then this guy called the Light took over and finished up um, the remix, adding more orbital elements to it to make it seem more like a remix. That's so interesting. I've uh, I, that's the first time I think that we've encountered that where uh, the remixer got rejected by the creator. Do you think that would be rare? I feel like that would be rare. Is that is that like a normal? I think if you ask someone to remix your tune, like you want them to do it, and like you'll, you'll put whatever you want on there, on your uh, you know single or whatever. Um, that's what I would think. That's what I would do. But um, if you have a certain, you want this to be recognizable and if it gets like radio play or something like that you want that you want this and that and the other you want them to realize oh this is sasha's remix of an orbital song yeah there's a whole thing in like uh in my world where there are prominent remixes where they don't sound anything like the originals and it's kind of <laughs> hilarious to me i think it's so funny i'm like this is just another song but like, <laughs> no the bass the bass line is kind of influenced by the original like is it <laughs> and like, and like, this is just another song. So, <laughs> so Orbo didn't like the first run. To tell Sasha that they, that like no, this isn't good enough is beyond the meme. So um, at this at this point, Sasha was already the guy, right? For Belfast, so Orbo's Belfast came out on the Green album, which came out in 1991. Bell Funk was released on the on the expanded EP in '99. In '91, Orbital was on top of the uh, electronic world. Sasha was not. Sasha was getting started. Now, switch the tables and like, yeah. ain't no way Orbital's going to turn down a Sasha remix, no matter what he want. He could fart into a microphone for nine, for nine <laughs> minutes. They'll they'll press it on vinyl. I'll tell you right now. That's how big of a deal this guy is. People worship him. It's 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 odd. About Belfunk, so I didn't find this one as exciting as Expander. Certainly. But it's probably more sonically interesting, if that makes sense. I feel like there was like some like really really neat things going on in there. He has a lot of grindy, grimy bass. Like I'll, I'll, like boom 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 boom. He's got a lot of cool bass signs. The synth piano that drops in is pretty lovely. I was gonna say there's some really interesting, like really uh, like soundscape throughout this one, um, and there's really no drums until the eight minute mark when this like buzzy synth um, kind of just like creeps in and just drives the song all the way home. After Bell Funk, it's rabbit weed. So I love the drums on this one. Yeah, uh, honestly, probably some of the best. I can recall while doing research for the show. I mean, up there with like Batboy Slim. Uh, wow. Batboy Slim's drum. Yeah, I was truly blown away. And this one actually reminds me of Hybrid in that it's very cinematic, um, especially yeah. when you have the organ and the strings drop in around the three and a half minute mark. Uh, it's, it's, it's also the broken beat. The broken beat. It's the breaks. The boom, boom, progressive breaks. Yeah. That really, I, I just really, really connected with the drums on on Rabbit Weed. But the probably my favorite song on the album 
is, is Baja. Baja? Like, oh, man. Baja is a glorious journey. Dude. Isn't it beautiful? It, it was so, just... I listened to it on the drive home today. And oh, beautiful drive home song. It's, Perfect. It's kick ass. Like, it's so good. <laughs> it's fantastic. Like... The drums, the synths, everything's just firing on all cylinders. And what a way to end this extended play. Yeah, uh, I think it's glorious. Baja is truly beautiful. So last week, we talked about how Little Fluffy Clouds. Little Fluffy Clouds by The Orb. <laughs> uh, was the come down song, right? Mm-hmm. After, uh, from a, a night night on the town, come down, relaxing. At what point of the night is Sasha being played? It's the thing about Sasha. <laughs> Sasha plays all night. I like that. Sasha plays all night. I don't know how, how best to put it, but Sasha plays all night, baby. He's not your, uh, like, you know, there's an opener, there's a mid, there's like a the headliner, and then, you know, and then there's the after party and this and that. It's Sasha all night long. He's been known for very long sets, uh, especially him and Digweed when they're when they're trading off, eight to ten hours. I think Digweed has a, a running bet with like Danny Tanaglia of like of like the longest DJ sets ever, and that those are approaching thirty hours, just nonstop, just going, going, going. Now, <laughs> that doesn't mean that everything is just crazy, crazy dance music all the time. What he's doing is he's creating an atmosphere. He's a curator. He's curating your evening. All he's trying to do is hold the floor and doing so, you know, the the DJ Credo, like playing what you want to hear, but also something you didn't know you needed to hear, creating this euphoria of something special. I, I've seen him a couple of times. I saw him and Digweed in Miami. I saw Sasha in Orlando and he was sending music around the room. And when I say around the room, I do mean so. There's a 5.1 like Dolby thing where he was able to send samples like soaring around the room, like around our heads. It's really wild. Uh, it, one of the things that kind of uh, I read on his Wikipedia page was that he attributes his success to his technical skill and ability to quote unquote connect with his dancers. How does one connect with their dancers as a DJ? How do you can you elaborate on that? If it's if I'm interpreting what Sasha is saying, he is washing the floor, the floor that people are dancing upon, um, and he's seeing what they are dancing to, and he is elaborating upon that, um, or or uh, elevating that into like, but maybe try this, you know, like maybe try this, maybe try that. Have you considered this? Maybe we don't have to have two speakers. Maybe have four. And music can soar around you in a 360 degree angle. Maybe this dancing that we do is a is a an, an experience, and it's and it's an experience to see to see to to listen to him play. Like let's let's go see what heaven looks like. Like let's <laughs> like like let's go let's go let's, let's let's approach Nirvana together. If you're with me, and if you ask him that, he'd say no. I never thought about that. But there's something special about sasha there's something going on here there's something going on here dude (laughs) well this kind of this kind of leads into uh probably uh my my uh, two final points but 
So your DJ <laughs> name was Elijah, right? It was, yeah. So one name, Elijah, Sasha, did being a former part-time spotty boy, did your, <laughs> did your love of Sasha's music, did that influence you as you were starting off kind of finding your own identity as a DJ or did you discover Elijah before Sasha? Where, where did that fall into the place? That's what I was thinking of when listening to this. Um, I came up with the name Elijah before before I discovered Sasha, I think. Okay. Um, but I do like the one name thing. Maybe we're both just big fans of Cher. Or yeah. Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but the, but there was one thing like where I I, I had downloaded a, uh, a a really shitty copy of a of a Sasha mix, and it was just some guy in the microphone um, beforehand saying like, "Tonight is every." Music fan and club goers, dream come true. Tonight, you get to match the beat of your heart with a beat <laughs> from Sasha. I'm like, so maybe it's easier just like leave it. Drop the DJ. It's cleaner. Like the Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, like the mystery mystery behind your persona or whatever is very interesting to me. So even though he's. This isn't technically trance, um, as we kind of saw with like with Paul, Paul VD. I I am like really into those like keyboard driven arpeggiated arpeggioed uh, arpeggioed. Oh, okay. I thought you would know. <laughs> um, and this was like right in that wheelhouse, and one I will honestly like probably return to like tomorrow. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and final note. Sasha's remix of Ray of Light by Madonna is just <laughs> is nuts. <laughs> like that song is seriously the dookie. Uh, oh, here we, we go. go. That's that's two in an episode. I just, that usually doesn't happen. Do you have the time to listen to me whine? About nothing and everything all at once I am one of those melodramatic fools Neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it Sometimes I give myself the creeps Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me it all keeps adding up I think I'm cracking up And am I just paranoid? Am I just up? Uh, so my album this week was Green Day's Dookie, uh, which came out on February 1st, 1994, about 29, almost 29 years ago, next month. Um, Heavens above. Elliot, what did you think of Dookie? Oh man, um, okay. Well, I dove in and um, and I know Green Day, you know, uh, through yeah. cultural osmosis. Have you talked about that? Um, yeah, they've and, and, kind of just always been there, you know, like yeah, weirdly. yeah, they've just been around. So I listened to it and like, and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, sounds like Green Day. And then and then the hits started rolling. Oh uh, yeah, and I was like, okay, wait, why why wasn't I the biggest Green Day fan ever? 
because <laughs> this is fun as shit. Like these songs are awesome, and I'm like pumped up, and I'm feeling good. And even though they're talking about some weird shit, I really dug it a great deal. Like some of like the call and response of like, like I was seeing like, the Clash, and like, and I was wondering like, you know, like oh, where are their influences? Blah blah blah. When did they show up? And like how influenced or uh, how how influential are Green Day? So I'm very excited. I want to ask you about like the it's three people, right? Yes. So and like I want to ask about like like does three people give you more like power somehow? Like like it's as opposed to like four or five. Like somehow like the I had to assume like they just they're all like tight enough to like be so in sync that like they're just fucking figuring it out. So quickly, because the tempos are fast, um, the drummer is playing that, that piccolo snare like a machine gun. And the, the hats are always open. I, I'm very curious what you think about this one, but I dug the hell out of it. Man, there's some absolute fucking fire ass hits on this one. Oh man. I'm, well, I'm, I'm happy to hear, uh, I'm happy to hear you, you, you enjoyed it and we're gonna get into like all those things. Um, Cause I have notes for days. Uh, <laughs> go on, go on. I, I am John Doe from Seven now. So we just. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. All right. Uh, so Billy Joe Armstrong and Mike Durnt uh, met in elementary school in the town of Rodeo. Now, Rodeo is a quote unquote rundown industrial town on the outskirts of San Francisco. Uh, in his book, Sell Out the Major Label Beating Frenzy That Sweat Punk, Emo, and Hardcore, 1994 to 2007. Uh, Dan Ozzy says that the Bay Area Quality Management District once deemed Rodeo, California as the most odoriferous community due to the smell of all the oil refineries. Uh, so, so these guys are from a town known for um, its odor, uh, and needless to say, they were hungry to get out. Billy Joe and Mike Dern. They 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 start a band called Sweet Children, um, and they're it's kind of like a garage rock '60s pop, but with punk energy type band. Um, you can listen to some of their demos. They're, they they're out there. They very much sound like Green Day. Like there's no mistaking Billy Joe Armstrong's voice. So these guys they get they start getting involved in uh, the club scene in San Francisco, um, and the club is called. 924 Gilman Street, which opened in 1986. Uh, so Gilman Street is located in San Francisco's East Bay, uh, and it was opened as a place for punks to hang out safely. Um, it kind of was like the opposite of like punk ideals. Not a lot of aggression, not a lot of like leather spike studs or anything going on there. Um, they had signs posted that said, no racism, homophobia, alcohol, drugs, fighting, or stage diving. Um, so it was kind of it was kind of like a safe space for for San Francisco punks. Um, and that's where Green Day really um, really came up. And I bring up Gilman Street because it's kind of important to the whole Dookie story. Um, okay. So the big band to come out of like the Gilman scene was Operation Ivy. Uh, and they're actually led uh, that they actually had Tim Armstrong and Matt Freeman uh, from Rancid. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm familiar with Rancid. I'm seeing the Operation Ivy T-shirts. Yeah, the, it's like the it's like a black and white, like a detective yeah. looking guy, kind of iconic logo. 
they were only a band for like two or three years. Big fan of Rancid, by the way. Yeah, like incredibly influential. Um, so Green Day's first show as Green Day was May 28th, 1989, and they were they opened for Operation Ivy. It was Operation Ivy's last show. So it was kind of oh, like Green Day kind of stepping into... It's a, it's a baton being passed. Yes. Oh, beautifully, beautifully worded. So at, like I said, so they changed their name from Sweet Children to Green Day uh, based on an experience of smoking smoking weed all day. So that's where oh, the band name comes Oh, Green from. Day. I'm so stupid. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, even, I didn't even put that together. I also don't know why Sasha is called Sasha. Yeah. <laughs> so. And so what really made Green Day stand out is, you know, they're a punk band. They played loud, fast. They didn't sing about things that punk bands normally sung about. They didn't sing about politics or, 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 or aggression or anything. They sung about, you know, girls, you know, being bored, masturbation, you know, just kind of some really deep, I don't want to say weird, but just different things, you know? What was really neat is, in, in my research, I found that the fact that they they sang about these different, you know, subjects, it kind of allowed, it kind of attracted girls to like the band, you know? And not saying, not saying that punk is, or I shouldn't say even just say punk, but not saying rock music is predominantly something that, you know, young men gravitate towards Mm -hmm. but it's a big part of it you know unfortunately there's a certain like uh, masculine masculine rebellion kind of thing going on exactly yeah um but with these with these like honestly kind of like borderline like romantic songs um that billy joe was writing it kind of like brought teenage girls into the scene which doesn't hurt that he's a snack either right dude all these you know all of them are, are kind of kind of cuties, you know? Um, cutie pies. Uh, cutie pies. Um, <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so so you had this band who were, you know, influenced by everyone from the Beatles and Elvis to the Clash and the Ramones. Yeah. And so they were, they were kind of, you know, they're, it's like, it's like the romantic sen- sensibilities with, the hard edge of punk and i don't think that had been done yet you know wow uh and what's and what's really neat is so dookie comes out in 1994 um in february 1994 kirk cobain passes away in april 1994 oh right so what ozzy says and uh another really fantastic author that i read for the show um ian winwood his book smash green day the offspring bad religion no effects in the 90s punk explosion what they kind of what their kind of thesis is is like you know nirvana kind of opened the door for major labels to start mining the underground scene you know and looking for that new Nirvana, you know, looking for that hard band that wrote catchy songs, you know, and that's Nirvana kind of opened the door for a band like Green Day to become a band like Green Day. If that makes sense. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Um, it's it's a really great, really neat story. So 
Green Day was signed to this this record label called Lookout Records. By um, by all accounts, could not keep up with the demand for Green Day uh, for Green Day fans. Like they just could not, they couldn't get their records out there. Like like there's stories of like Green Day would you know play a sold out show, and fans would be like, "Hey, we want to buy your record, but I can't find it at the store." And they're like, "Oh yeah, you know we just there's nothing we can do about it." Um, so Green Day hires um, hires a manager that gets them out of their contract with Lookout. Basically, they said, look, y'all can keep those first two Green Day albums that they put out with Lookout, and we're just gonna go get a major label contract. Um, So they connected, uh, it was uh, Jeff Saltzman, I was one half of the managers. He gave Green Day's demo to Rob Cavallo, who worked for Warner Brothers Records. And this demo included She, uh, standout track and yeah, bas- absolutely and, bas- and basket case mm-hmm. and so cavallo was blown away and went to visit the guys uh in their basement apartment in berkeley california got to meet him and i love the story i want uh the behind the music episode for green day is on youtube uh, <laughs> so it was awesome to revisit that uh and in it they're kind of like, yeah, we were just kind of sizing each other up. Uh, and Rob Cavallo, he's like, they learned that, you know, I could play every Beatles song on guitar. And so they tested me. He was like, they rolled me a joint and started like naming off Beatles songs to see if I knew how to play them. And he was like, I nailed it, you know? And so, but then he says like, he went to the airport and was so stoned that he missed his flight. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the end, Green Day signed with Rob Cavallo. I think he's produced every album they've put out since. And uh, the album they produced is Dookie. Tell me about this producer. He's gone on to do some great things, right? Rob Cavallo, he, he's an Oscar winner. Um, Oscar winner? Yes, uh, because he produced the Tarzan soundtrack. Which won with an Phil Oscar. Collins? Yeah. With Phil Collins? Oh my goodness. You'll gracious. be I think it's you'll be in my heart. Um he, uh, <laughs> yeah, he Homeboy has an Oscar. He's fantastic. And you know, like he's very unassuming. Like you, you know, looking at him, you would not think that he'd be like the guy that, you know, the punks in Green Day would would have picked. Um, but I love that. Um he's produced uh former subjects, Google dolls, Dizzy Up the Girl. Yep. He did uh, Green. He did Green Day's Dookie, Insomniac, Nimrod, American Idiot, My Chemical Romance. This guy's kind of just—he's crushed. He's just crushed. Good for you, Rob Cavallo. <laughs> yeah, far out. Now, now, what, when a band like this comes into a uh, a studio like this and like has a you know high level producer, do you think they're willy nilly with it, or they do they do they have their songs written and ready to go? they had their songs written and ready to go and they were they were tight i think even on their third album oh yeah like i think um the main thing that they did was get billy joe's guitar sounds so rob cavallo talked about they just like lined up a bunch of amps for him to try and they settled on like a marshall amplifier sure uh what an amp because the guitars on this record just sound crispy and just out of this world good that's delicious 
Um, but yeah, so I think they said like when they recorded their first two albums, um, which one of them is called Kerplunk, and the first one is Escaping Me. They had like a seven hundred, like seven hundred and fifty dollar budget, if I'm not mistaken. Seven fifty dollars. Oh my god. And for for Dookie, they had you know a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand, or something like that. Far out. Uh, um, how do you how do you feel about the the like an album of this prestige being called Dookie? <laughs> I it's kind of like an album like the Blue Album being called the Blue Album. You yeah. know, it's just like it's kind of unassuming. Um, Throwaway, like yeah, we don't we don't have time to call it something. I think the band I think they named it Dookie because like they all had diarrhea at one point. That's what I read too, man. <laughs> I wanted to get back to the Gilman Street thing and why I brought that. So Green Day started at this like punk, San Francisco punk mecca. They were embraced by the community. When they signed to a major label, they signed to Warner Brothers Reprise with Rob Cavallo. Mm-hmm. They were outcasts. Got it. Uh, they were banned from Gilman Street. Gilman Street didn't want their punk that that punk culture exploited for money which is what they felt green day was doing you know and which i i mean i understand it but at the same time i'm like i kind of uh, i don't know um i mean the sex sizzles were signed to a major label you know like so with the clash you know <laughs> they were they were banned from 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 their home turf a lot of like the dialogue a lot of the during this time i read like rolling stone pieces around 1994 was how do you feel about selling out? Like, are you a sellout? You know, like, uh, you know, do you regret selling out and signing to a major? And that it's so interesting that that is what a lot of that so many people focused on was the idea of quote unquote selling out. Like anymore to be like, well, why is Green Day selling, you know, uh, coffee pods for your, your Keurig or whatever? Like, yeah, like, I don't know. It, it's so it, the norm now. Yeah, you know, and and that's what that's what I think this album is so special, and, and you know, in one of the many ways, you know, like in in the behind the music, like they say, like you know, we didn't sell out for money, which come on, it's okay if you did, you know, like get that money, you know, <laughs> like you know, if you're if you're as gifted as you are and as talented as you are, and you can you know support yourself with your art, you know, I'm not gonna think anything less of someone, like yeah, go for it. Um, but they said, you know, like, we believed in our music so much that, you know, we knew that the underground had taken us as far as it could go. And we wanted our music, you know, to do more, you know. Sure. Team Green Day in that argument, honestly, like, yeah, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, to the point where, like, their their, their indie record label could not get their records out to people. Like, it's... Is the music less good? Of co- is is it less of quality if more people hear it? Like not necessarily, no. Yeah, but like it's more exclusive, sure. So then, what? Who are you really fighting against? You want the exclusivity, you know? And you're it's mad so- that other people get to know your friends. That's what it is. Yeah, exactly. And I and I I bring up Nirvana again because for for alternative rock, you know, they were just everything in the 90s you know they opened so many doors the idea of selling out to kurt cobain you know he he could not you know 
that was everything to him you know staying true to his punk roots to his underground roots like that was everything to that man um you know and he took that very seriously to the point where like you know he just it just like ate away at him the fact like the idea of selling out but nirvana signing to geffen made it okay well like i i i like i wonder if in like green day's mind they're like okay well nirvana came from the underground and they did it you know maybe you know we could find success doing it too even though it like tortured kurt cobain you know signing to a major label does that make sense it does it does yeah like you know, like like, uh, like well they made a deal with the devil and that's so and they're the coolest band in the world so maybe we could do that too and not lose clout yeah like like still be still write uh enduring songs that mean something to us you know like and it's just so interesting how that how that changed in three years like from when nirvana signed and then when green day signed uh it's just the, the parallels are just are really really uh really fascinating between the two bands because of previous episode the offspring like the offspring came out with smash in 1994 as well Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, in in Rolling Stone they say like punk punk rock is profitable again, you know, because uh. you had these two band two these two rock bands with like punk rock ethos, you know, punk rock like roots, um, playing their their brand of, of of punk, you know, and because of the success of Dookie, bands in that scene were were discovered like no effects you know rancid independent labels were able to you know sell records like like smash by the offspring is well for for a time was the highest selling independent release uh, from a band you know and it wasn't just green day selling out to a major label oh god you know it was you know it was like green day being out here introducing these kids to punk rock by playing this like fast, hard, edgy, quote unquote, music. And those kids being like, well, I want more of this. Where can I, f- I'm gonna look at, you know, Lookout Records, I'm gonna look at Epitaph and Fat Wreck Records and find these yeah. other bands. And so it just, it to say it was a game changer is kind of like an understatement. <laughs> but, I, but I really enjoyed Dookie. The name's ridiculous. It's about <laughs> diarrhea. A lot of open hats, drummers on point with that piccolo snare, which I love so much. Uh, I really, en- really enjoyed it. I think in Longview they say, take me to paradise. Oh, no, sorry. Longview. Take, take me away to paradise. That's it. Yeah. All right. And then there's, and then, welcome to paradise. The immediate next song, which I thought was beautiful. I don't know. I was like, is this a concept album? And I'm like, oh, tell me that, like, that long view is right here. Uh, take me away to paradise, and then uh, welcome to paradise is side B. But I thought that was really cool. Like, like as an because I'm an album guy, and I like that like uh, uh, motif. Really enjoyed the hell out of that. See, um, I, I I missed that. Uh, thank you for for bringing that to my for pointing that out to me. That that's incredible. Take me away to paradise. Welcome to paradise. Like boom. Like, it's this next song. It's like, you've arrived. It's kind of interesting. Like, so they're telling a story with the track listing, which I obsess yeah. about. I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's cool. 
uh, on Welcome to Paradise, you got Mike Dirt, the bassist, just shining on the bass guitar. Like, there's not enough, like, th- I, I love this album for a lot of reasons. And one of them is the fact that they have, like, a couple different bass solos, which you don't really see a lot of. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Iconic bass solo. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Pulling Teeth was a really interesting one. It's mm-hmm. uh, it, it's practically a country song, you know? Like, like if you were to drop like some like steel guitar on there, like I think it would work. Um, it reminded me of Social Distortion, another California punk band uh, that plays like a really interesting blend of country punk, uh, cow punk, as they call it. What's up with Billy Joe's uh, cadence? See, that's, you know, uh, I, one of my favorite new podcasts is uh, it's called Bandsplain and it's on Spotify. And the host is. Uh, Are they stealing our shit? Because that sounds. No. Like... <laughs> no. Yet no. again, another podcast stealing our C's, man. Oh, oh, I um, know. <laughs> but um, so one of my favorite new podcasts is called Bandsplain. Oh, yeah. um, and the host on it, who's awesome, uh, her name is Yossi Salik, uh, she asked. Dan Ozzy, uh, who was the uh, the guy from the the sellout book I was talking about, she asked oh, like, okay. oh, "What's wow. up? What's up with uh, Billy Joe's singing voice?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is it? Uh, hey, uh, come on. I remember. What, it's so funny you bring it up. One of my earliest memories of this band, I was talking to my mom. She was like, "What are you listening to?" And I said, "Oh, Green Day." I was like, "You know who they are?" And she was like, "Yeah, that's that guy who pretends he's British." <laughs> and I was like. No, he's not, you know, uh, but, and I think I read a quote where Billy Joe was like, <laughs> I'm an American guy who's trying to sing in like a British guy who's trying to sing like an American guy. Ah, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, okay. So I think he's, I think he's doing a definite like Joe Strummer from the Clash kind of thing. He's kind of figured um, it out. Yeah. And I will say there's no one that sounds like him. He, It'd be like me doing Malbolgia as a lead singer. My brother has spun. <laughs> Do you have the time to listen to me whine? Oh, I love that. About the- <laughs> <laughs> Jake, careful. I can't do it. <laughs> um, so, what is speaking of first memories, what's your first memory of Green Day? Like, one that you like some school bus shit, like, uh, um, friends of friends blah 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 like, like yeah okay this is I, I i clearly remember like oh this is better than the other stuff you know yeah. like uh this seems cool like like uh i don't you know i don't want to judge me cool factors here but like like you know it was decidedly cooler to like green day than backstreet boys or whatever or yeah. or or frankly good dolls your precious google dolls uh like it, it was because like all oh, these guys uh, you know, this is like party music. You know, it's like um, my parents are out of town. Come over, kind of music. You know, like yeah. it became like American Pie kind of stuff. You know, like like that. That was that was my high school. Like like that was my high school life. All these songs are like you know anthems of that. I I feel like I played Green Day when I first started playing guitar, and I feel like I played Green Day a couple years ago with our friend Ruben, who we talked about mm-hmm. you know several times in the show. Sure. You know, the songs are. They're welcoming to any type of of listener. Um, a teenager, 
or a, a grown man. There, I think there's still, there's a lot to find here. Green Day just kind of kept on doing it. You know, they followed this one with Insomniac. And then later on, of course, they dropped the Time of Your Life in 1997. Yeah. And I that's kind of, I think that might be the first, my first experience with Green Day. Because that was like every, everyone's graduation song that year. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, in 2004, they kind of had the comeback of the decade with American Idiot, which that album was huge. It spawned a Broadway musical. Just nuts uh, success. So um, I've actually had the chance to see Green Day live. I saw them on the 21st Ooh. Century Breakdown Tour. Amazing show. At one point, I saw it in San Antonio. Like they're famous in their concerts for picking like kids out of the audience and being like, "Hey, do you know three chords? Then you can play this song." So like they'll pick out like a bassist, a drummer, and a guitar sometimes, and they'll play like one of their easier songs. In this this show, Billy Joe was like, "We're in Texas. Does anyone know any Pantera?" At, you know, previous episode. And this kid like put, raises her hand and he goes, are you serious? You know, Pantera. Okay. Well get up here. And so Billy Joe puts his guitar on this like scrawny kid. And he's just like, go ahead, play Pantera. And this kid just starts ripping uh, Cowboys from hell really well. He stands on, he stands on the monitor and he's just like shredding this song. <laughs> and Green Day, they're just, the band is, they're just, you know, I feel like when you played together for 30 years, like you just pick up on things. And so the band starts following him, you know, and they're playing Pantera for a couple bars. And uh, yeah. everyone loses their mind. And Billy Joe was like, you know, I was at the Alamo today and I bought this. I bought this um, sheriff pin. It said Billy Joe. Uh, and that was awesome. I want you to have it. And he gave the, he gave the pin to the to the kid. And, you know, and just really seem they all seem just like really like kind fan forward uh artists uh musicians and to be as big as they are and to still have that that mindset um sell out or no i think that is incredibly punk rock um yeah so uh i've i've always really enjoyed green day um my favorite band probably wouldn't have been as successful without them like 182 from down the road in uh san diego three piece uh, another three piece I whether I realize it or not, I have a, I have a lot to thank Green Day for. So, and I'm really happy you like the album. I, I liked that a great deal. I think I said on a couple episodes ago, my brothers went to a Green Day show at you know over here at the Coda, and Green Day played for like three hours nonstop, all hits. Three hours of hits. Their songs are two and a half minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> Like, how many hits do you have to have? A lot. Like, <laughs> like they said it was like one of the best shows you've ever seen in your entire life. So they're doing something right. And if any, if there's any uh, CBGB, you know, deep, deep cut, Lower East Side haters out there, fucking, you know, ease up. Because yeah. <laughs> that's beautiful. I think that's fantastic. Absolutely. And I mean, at the end of the day, if you can inspire someone to pick up a pair of drumsticks or a bass and a, and a guitar, and your music will lead them to the Ramones uh, or, or the or the Clash, um, what more can you ask for? And I think Green Day's done a lot, done that for a lot of people. We would be remiss to not talk about the 1994 Woodstock before we go, 
Did you have you? Are you familiar with this one? Ninety-four Woodstock. When so Green Day played ninety-four Woodstock, and that's it's the one where the crowd started throwing mud at them. But not the not the not the world changing disastrous ninety-nine one. No, no, this is ni- this is ninety-four. The mud pit uh, where it wasn't as a much as a disaster as ninety-nine. Like, oof, no, at least not that I know of. Uh, but this is the one where they play and they. That people really feel they, you know, finally endured themselves to the masses um, at this show, you know, with this performance. It's the one where they're playing and the crowd starts throwing clumps of mud at them as they're playing and they get covered. They get covered in mud. And at one point they just stop playing and just start throwing mud back at the crowd. (laughs) Uh, And that's kind of like the thing that they, they say is like the catalyst for for them taking that superstar step, you know, because I, I meant to say it, but Trey Cool is the drummer and he's just such an entertaining uh, musician and just fan. He's solid. Like he's just, he's not necessarily very flashy. I mean, he's got like, he's got like the drum solo in like burnout, but he's not, he's just solid. I have no qualms saying like, as a drummer, like that's, I've never, I've never, I've never heard drumming like that before in my life. He is a machine gun on beat to the like nanosecond like it's truly truly amazingly impressive yeah uh one of the things we didn't really talk about uh dookie is some of the I- most iconic music videos uh of the 90s i would argue came from this one you know you got basket case um uh, you have when i come around long view just really iconic videos that really are just a snapshot and upon my research i learned that all of these music videos were directed by the same guy uh, his name is mark core mark core directed uh, another iconic 90s music video uh, by a band the following year and it's the band that i'm very very excited to talk about finally on the show we are going to talk about <laughs> 1995's Tragic Kingdom. No. By Miss Gwen Stefani and No Doubt. Wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big old No Doubt fan. I'm not gonna lie. So this is this is a big one. Uh you've got uh just according to the Wikipedia page, seven singles off this one. It's got just a girl. Uh, spider webs don't speak spider webs forget it are you out of your mind so <laughs> very excited to finally welcome Gwen Stefani and the boys to the show uh, for my album since you're doing uh, no doubt in 1998 a band I think you're familiar with released an album called Moon Safari and I think we should cover that one oh, finally. <laughs> and the band is called Air parenthetical french band let's do let's do moon safari oh by by air dude i know you like it i'm so it's a that's a perfect album like it's (laughs) here's my review now it's perfect (laughs) (laughs) as a companion piece to 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 no doubt oh i haven't i haven't listened to it in the companion sense but as a as a standalone album it's just it's perfection no doubt an error. Uh, we're we're Air. kicking off season three of Sip and Mimos with, you know, with the hits. Um, yeah, 
thank you for listening uh, to Elliot and I talk about Sasha and Green Day. Uh, I hope I hope you enjoy these albums as much as we do. Uh, and send us an email. Tell us what your thoughts on on Dookie and the Expand Repeat were. Um, Sippinmemospod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, drop us an email. Send us an Instagram message. Tell us what you think. And uh, uh, if you want to hear us talk about uh, an album of your choosing, I think that'd be fun. Until next time, uh, when you're going to hear me talk about 10 things I hate about you for like 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> wait, wait, is that, is that supplemental viewing? Do I need to watch that? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I, wait, I don't have... Oh, oh, Virgin Suicides. Watch that. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Best of luck watching that shit. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening uh, to Sip and Mimos. Uh, if you've been listening for a while thank you and if you just happen to find us because you were looking for a podcast that uh talks about uh mixing mimosas in creative ways uh welcome and i hope you like talking about radio rock and electronica music all right i think that's gonna do it for me i am gonna go uh back to paradise um to borrow a phrase from billy joe all right man well uh, until next time stay sipping, sipping.